Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I'm David. I'm Scott. And this is episode number 63. We are uh, transitioning to uh, a little Advent time and uh, Scott is going to, as our our resident Christmas expert, Scott is going to... uh, Fill us in on what we'll be doing for uh, for the next few weeks. Yeah, I like to call this segment Christmas Songs by Old Dead Guys. <laughs> yeah, so what we're going to do is, uh, if you're listening to the sermons online or in person, uh, as we're moving through Advent, we're moving through these different uh, sections of the Gospel of Luke that are kind of people's responses to the Incarnation, if you will. This, this one that we just finished on Sunday was Mary's song when she realized when she, when she goes and visits Elizabeth and she's thinking about the wonder of the incarnation. And so what, what, I, what I wanted to do was associate a different Christmas song that we normally sing with the theme of the sermon. You know, that way the, the song ties in to the text, you know. And so the song that we picked this week was Joy to the World, which is, is probably one of the most famous mm. Christmas songs that we sing. Only uh, the, the number one thing I hear when I talk to people about joy to the world is, you know what it is, David? I don't. It's not a Christmas song. People say, that's not a Christmas song. That's not a Christmas that's song. That's not a song about Jesus' first coming. It's a song about Jesus' second coming. To which I generally respond, well, here's how this works. There really is no second coming if there is not a... First coming. Uh, so every song about the second coming could also be a song about the first one, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, then and you're you kind of asking me. So... I, <laughs> I'm kind of telling you. So so I'd like to start off just with kind of history of the hymn. Here's what I'm thinking we can do. Uh, we're going to make these uh, just very intentionally different. Just real quick, what's the history of the song that we're getting ready to talk about? And then just kind of line by line, we read them, think mm-hmm. about them, and then kind of interact with the theology inside the song. You know, a- as a rule, by the way, um, I'm a big fan of, so I love music and I love church music, Christian music, any kind of music. I really like any kind of music. One of the things that I think that we should be more careful to do as a culture is this, is to sit down and read a song before you sing it as a rule. And I've had to explain this to people before. As a rule, I will not sing a song I have not read. Does that make sense? Like I won't read, which is why if you, uh, if you're a member of this church, you get an email and when we sing a new song in that email is the lyrics to the new song that we're singing. Because mm-hmm. my expectation is that you're going to want to know what you're singing before you sing it. Well, we sung a lot of these songs and we've never really thought about what they're saying. And the reality is that the older Christmas hymns especially have just stood the test of time, oh, yeah. you know, for, for many, many years. And Joy to the World is no different. So here's the thing about Joy to the World. Isaac Watts uh, wrote this song, uh, but he originally wrote a series of poems. And he wrote these poems to be um, coordinated with different psalms that he read. So so Isaac Watts is a fascinating story. Isaac Watts didn't really like the way music was going in the church hmm. of his day. Uh, because in, in his time, uh, there were no instruments, there were no hymns, they they sang, they sang from the Psalter, and they generally sang without any kind of instrumentation. So Isaac was actually labeled a radical and a liberal because he brought music into the church, which if you've ever done anything with church music, it's, it doesn't take much <laughs> to be labeled to a be radical, labeled a radical and, and a liberal, liberal when you do something that isn't 
traditional yeah. in the church context. Well, Isaac did it, and uh, and so he he wrote some hymns that we we know a lot of the different hymns that he has written, and this is one of them. But it's an interpretation adaptation, really. Of Psalm 98, and Psalm 98 is one of the, the kingship psalms that celebrates the coming of the king, which is why, and rightly so, we generally ascribe Psalm 98 not to Jesus's first coming, but to his second one. However, I think that there are enough connections that Isaac is making in the song that you could really use it for either one. But it, it ended up becoming uh, one of the most famous Christmas carols, because when we hear the the lyric, and you could, it makes sense, right? Joy to the world, the Lord is come, right? Mm-hmm. So so if you don't listen past what he's saying in that first line, of course it seems like a Christmas song. That's mm-hmm. what we're celebrating is the incarnation, the coming of yeah. Jesus. So so let's do this. Let's, let's read just every, let's start maybe one, one verse at a time. Or, yeah. <laughs> so it says, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing, heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. All right. So first, the the the, the idea that the world should have joy. If you think about the first the first line, right? The coming of Jesus should have brought mm-hmm. joy to the world. The first coming. And it did for some. You know, we're in Luke, so I think about Think about what we talked about just this last week with Mary. Clearly, yeah, Mary grasps the joy that is that is hers because Christ is coming. You know, so so it's not that the whole world was devoid of joy, and they just didn't receive the King in the way that they should, should have. have. Yeah. And you you don't get long in the life of Jesus before you see that. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about when you talk about joy to the world being a song about the second coming, what he says about heaven and, and nature specifically singing yeah. makes a lot more sense. Sure. Because he, you can kind of see him tying in, you know, what what the scriptures say about creation just groaning. Yes. And just in eager anticipation that creation itself is in an eager anticipation of Christ's return when yes. he comes to finally rid this world of sin's curse. Yep. And we see that, of course, beginning and, and starting in the incarnation, in the first coming, that that, that paves the way for that, that his first coming, his earthly ministry, makes it possible for the curse of sin to finally be broken. Yep. And we see it broken in the lives of of his church, but one day that's that curse will be broken across all creation. Yep. That that the entire world will be made new again. Right. And heaven and nature will, will sing. sing. Right now heaven sings. Yeah. You know, so half of the half of that <laughs> equation is taken care of. Uh but but we're we're yet to hear nature sing. So so again you can kind of see how they it ties into both. I don't think it's an either or. I think you can. I think you really should view the song as a both and, right? It mm-hmm. comes back to the first coming did this, the second coming is doing this. We really shouldn't look at a nativity scene or a manger scene or even think about Advent as Christians without thinking about the second coming of Christ. Like we, those things should be connected for us. It's kind of like, you know, we, I think I said this on Sunday. We should look at the cradle 
in light of the cross and the crown. Like mm-hmm. all these things go together. You know, he, he certainly did come as a baby, uh, but he didn't stay that way, right? He lived a oh, perfect yeah. life, died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven and reigns as king. Like all of this is true. But when you look at that one symbol in the nativity, it should remind you of all of these things and of his return. Because when he comes this time, he's not coming back as a baby. Mm. He's coming back as a triumphant king with a flaming sword coming out of his mouth and white hair. And it's like a terrifying thing unless you're his. Unless you're his. And then it's the right kind of fear. But it's not a, I'm a, I'm terrified of Jesus. It's a, I respect, I respect and I worship. And now I've, I've been waiting for this moment. Here, yes. he, is. Here he is. Let's go. Like that's, you know, and so, so you, you really can see, and I'm, I'm going to hammer that probably almost every week. Not only can you see those things in the nativity and in Advent, I think we should see those things mm. in the Advent season. That's what makes it so great. Yes. Is that is this whole picture of the celebration of the gospel, you know, Jesus made flesh. So, so that's the first verse. We got to keep going. There's yeah. a second one. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. I'm trying really hard not to sing this song, David. So, so again, it's, it's this, what I love about what Watts does, especially in these first two verses is you can see it being a both hand, right? You can see it being joy to the earth. The savior reigns, you know, it's, uh, we talked about this in the sermon on Sunday of how Elizabeth says, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Like, He's in the womb. He's like the size of a peanut. And who? what is she calling Jesus? Lord, because there's never been a point in eternity where Jesus hasn't been Lord. And so this, the Savior reigns. Yes, he does. From the cradle, he reigned. Mm-hmm. He was king. He is king. He is eternally king, right? And so because of that, let men their songs employ. He reigns. So let's sing about his his yeah. reign. Now, then you get to the things that haven't happened yet. This this already not yet tension yeah. that you've talked about in a sermon, that I've talked about in a sermon of what it is to be a Christian in this world. There are things that have already happened, and then there are things that have not yet, not yet happened. Oh, yeah. And Isaac seems to, Watts really seems to get this tension really well in these two, because now it's fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, you know, repeating what men are singing. That yes. men are singing about the kingship of Jesus and all of creation is repeating what men are singing, you know. Yeah. I think of that scene in heaven where the the elders are around the throne, you know, singing casting their casting their crown, singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Like yes. there's a there's a day where all creation does this. Yes. So yes. Yeah, especially to think about that there was never a point in in at any point when Jesus was not king. I mean, even even when he's on the cross. You know, and even when he's hanging between two thieves, when one of them looks at them and says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Yeah. You know, that that phrase leads you to believe that the thief didn't think that he was in his kingdom right now. Right. That he thought, oh, well, things look really bad for you right now. But one day you'll be king. But one day when you're king, remember me. But Jesus' response is so telling. He says, no. Today you will be with me. You will be with me in paradise. Yes. Jesus, Jesus does not 
does not give any indication to this thief that he is not over this kingdom currently. That's so good. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that even in the midst of, mm. you know, when when soldiers are mocking him and ridiculing him, when the Pharisees are crying out to him, you know, if you are such a great healer, then save yourself. If you are the Messiah, then come down off the cross. Even in the midst of all this, you know, Jesus still shows that he is mm. ruler over this kingdom, that he is completely in control. Because when the, when the thief looks at him and says, when you come into your kingdom, hmm. expecting that that'll be sometime in the future. In the future. Jesus looks at him and says, no, no, today. Kingdom is here. Today you will be with me in paradise. Which, and we certainly shouldn't get the weeds in this, but when you when you understand Jesus's understanding of his reign, that's going to affect your eschatology. <laughs> yes. like it's going to affect the way you look at the end of things. Like uh-huh. you, you almost can't help it. So, mm. All right, so third verse. No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And then he repeats that. So so again, you've got this picture of what's going to happen at Jesus's return, right? Yes. No more let sins and sorrows grow. So he's coming, he's defeated sin. Uh, but the final victory, the, the, the coronation of the king at the second coming will be when the when the evil ones cast in the lake of fire and yes. all sin is fi- has a final judgment has been executed and there is no more there is no more sorrow there's no more sin and because of that he the nor thorns infest the ground is a reference to Genesis three okay. where the effects of the curse as God is 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 telling what the effects of the curse are is that thorns and thistles grow in the ground yes. because of the sin of Adam that the sin of Adam changed everything about the earth yes not just humanity but everything like there's decay and death and thorns and thistles and working by the sweat of our brow and all these sorts of things it's hard to make bread because of sin like it's there all these different things that are made much harder if you will because of the curse and so what he's saying is that that when jesus returns there's no more thorns Yes. You know, there's no more, which is interesting. You think about him wearing a crown of thorns, right? Like yes. he's literally wearing the thing that he's come to reverse. Yes. And and so, you know, so, but why? Because he comes to make his blessings flow. How far? Far as the curse is found. Yes. Now, tell you what's interesting. And um, if you sing this song from a Methodist hymnal, that line is not in there. Far as the curse the is curse found. The curse is found. Yeah. It's not because in there. Their theological perspective is that the curse they don't they don't hold to what we would call total depravity. Uh. They hold to a total inability, which is uh. you, you're not you, you're enabled to come to God, but you're not totally depraved. You know, like man is not thoroughly washed in iniquity. You know, I think I used this illustration when we were in Romans five, maybe, of what happens when a man falls off a building. You know, there's three different responses, <laughs> right? Like one is that he falls off the building. And he gets up and he just walks off and he goes, well, that was unpleasant. You know, there's, there's one view of, yeah. of what the, of what sin has done in the world. The second view is the guy falls off the building and he's hurt, but he's not dead. And he kind of limps his way to rescue. That's more of that kind of methodistic mm, view. inability, but not depravity. Yeah. Well, what we believe is he fell off the building and died. Right. And it, and it's going to take a resurrection to bring this man back to life. And that's what happens when we're saved. And I wish I could remember, but it's not far as the curse is found. Um, I can't remember how they, what they reworded, what they reworded it, to. it to, but I distinctly remember. And the only reason I remember this is because I was, um, 
early in my walk with the Lord, I was a Methodist youth pastor. True story. For a little while, long enough to recognize that I was, in fact, not, not Methodist. Methodist. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm sure that was an interesting <clears throat> exit interview. It was. And so, like, why are you leaving? Well, oh, well, you see. I, I got reasons, but. <laughs> so, anyway, so I, that, that is totally, you know, that's totally changed in some of the hymnals that you read. Not in ours, not in the Baptist hymnal. It reads this. And, and, and we sing this because the statement that Watts is making is that what Christ came to do mm-hmm. is to undo all that Adam did is to reverse the effects. And especially in Luke, you're going to see this, right? Oh, yeah. Like Jesus is born. He goes out in the wilderness for 40 days. Well, that's not a coincidence. You know, I mean, he's out, he's, he's in the wilderness for the days that correspond to the number of years that Israel was in the wilderness. And in those 40 days, he ate nothing and he resisted the devil three times. He did everything that Israel just couldn't do. Mm. You know, he was, you're over and over again in the gospel of Luke, seeing Jesus being the true and better Adam and the true and better Israel, both at the same time as you're walking through the gospel. And so that's what Watts is saying that all this is going to be reversed because of the work of Christ. Mm. All right, let's see. Is this the last one? He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. So he rules the world with truth and grace. That's true, mm-hmm. right? That's true now. That's not just true at his, at his return. He currently does rule the world and he does so with Truth and grace. He makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. I, I love that idea that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether humanity wants to bring glory to God. They do. They do. Mm-hmm. You know, like it doesn't matter if the, if, if humanity in the world doesn't want to exalt the king, the king will be exalted. Mm-hmm. You know, my, he, he says his name will be exalted. Yes. Not that it should be exalted, no. not that it ought to be exalted, not that it might be exalted, but it will, but it will be. And, and so he's, he's kind of repeating this, right? The nations will prove what the glories of his righteousness, which mm-hmm. is what a, what a great phrase, like the glories of his righteousness. You think about just the way he came, right? So just, you know, he comes to poor Mary and Joseph and, He's, he's born in a manger, you know, he's, he's, he grows up among the poorest of the people, like all of these things and, and grows in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Like he, all of these things are the glories of his righteousness. You know, he was like us in every way yet without sin mm. and wonders of his love. But that's the one that really gets me in the song, you know, that it is a, it is a miracle of grace that he loves us. Yes. Because we're not lovable people. Like, we like to think of ourselves as lovable people. We're not generally lovable people. When you begin to look at yourself and your sin from God's perspective, which is an awful lot of what Brooks has been telling us. Oh, yeah. In the book that we've been reading. Oh, right? yeah. Like, you got to look at sin from God's perspective. It's it's pretty awful. Yeah. In fact, it's a whole lot more awful than you think it is. And And when you look at that, then, of course, it's just a miracle that he would love us. And what is the demonstration of his love for us? It, it is definitely in his death. But it's even in his coming. Yes. You know, the demonstration of God's love is not just in the second coming. It's in the first. It's in the fact that he sent his son and that his son came willingly for the joy set before him and would endure the cross despising the shame. Yeah. You know, like all of this is wrapped up in both first coming and second coming. And so I think my cards on the table 
we absolutely should sing this song at Christmas, but I also think we shouldn't always sing this song at Christmas. This is a song you this is really a song you could sing in church at any time. At any time, which is probably the evidence of a good Christmas song. Like yes. you should probably be able to sing Christmas hymns any time of year. Yes. Because they're singing about Christ. And when is it not appropriate to sing about Jesus? Yes. So <laughs> Yes. Yes. And I mean too. The Lord tells us that he has redeemed a people from all tribes and tongues and nations. That, yep. that all the nations will prove the glories of his righteousness. That, that he, has, <clears throat> he has worked in such a way to redeem a people for himself that is not restricted to only a certain few nations. Yep. You not know, restricted think... to just a certain few peoples, but that peoples everywhere yep. will, will serve the Lord. And, you know, I'll tell you something that made my mind go when I was in seminary. Um, and I can still remember my head just exploding when I heard, when I thought about it. Because I'd never thought about this before. My systematic professor, we were talking at the end of a lecture one time about um, the promise that there would be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he said, well, that's already happened. And we went, and I went, yeah. And literally, you know, there's a bunch of missionaries in the room yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that. And like, wait, wait, what do you mean that's already happened? He said, well, it has to have. It has to have already happened. And they said, why? And he said, because every culture and every nation has had at least one stillborn child. Mm. And all of those children have souls. And all of those souls are with the Lord. And if that is the case, then the promise has already been kept, but not because men made some decision for Christ, but because God in his sovereignty has already kept from his every promises. tribe, tongue, and nation, his promises and a people. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do missions work. Yeah. But it does mean he's already promised and done it. Like, yeah. it's already happened. Which I had literally never thought about. Yeah. It was just a mind-boggling thing, yeah. you know. Man. So. What grace. Right. I mean, that's it. Like, you know, and it, 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 why? Was it because of... Something good or bad that they had done? No, no. But because of God's sovereign choice, which is where we're headed when we get to Romans. Romans 9, Romans 10. Oh, yeah. You know, those sorts of things, which is not this year. That's next year, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. A little bit at the time. Okay. Well, that was the first one. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Friends, we appreciate you listening along as we go kind of a little, got a little sidetrack for the next couple of weeks. We hope that this is a blessing to you and hope that we'll get to see you uh, at some of our Advent services. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye.